Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. And look at this. Alex Pillow comes onto the front straight here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Alex Pillow wins the GMR Grand Prix in Indy for Chip Ganassi Racing in the American Legion Honda. This has been impressive from the Spaniard. He's like a surgeon, so precise, so methodical with every step. Never a hair out of place in terms of his driving. And it has paid off today. This was meant to be a Chevrolet party in the shadows of the General Motors Rensen, which is high above where we are now. It's going to be a Honda driver who spoils the party. Racing back on the streets of Detroit, and it's Alex Pillow who wins the Chevrolet Grand Prix of Detroit. So Alex Pillow is guiding the American Legion Honda home. It's going to give Chip Ganassi Racing its 12th victory here at Mid-Ohio. That ties Team Penske for the most of any racing organization here. It gives Alex his fourth win on the season. More importantly, three in a row. Hello, Pillow. Alex does it again. Extends his championship lead and wins here at Mid-Ohio. Second time in three years is an NTT IndyCar Series champion. Hello, Palo, a champion again. <laughs> Let's go, boys. Oh, my God. Let's go. Thank you. You guys are the best. Hello. Welcome. Trackside 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. We have a lot to get to, some news in tonight's show, but I thought we'd start off with some highlights of one of the news stories today. We almost spent a lot of time at this in the beginning. We'll get to it more later, but uh, essentially we've got an Alex Pillow confirmation. So some highlights of his championship season in 2023, and it came along with DHL moving over after 13 years with Andretti Autosport, now Andretti Global, to become the primary partner on the number 10 Chip Ganassi Racing Honda for Alex Pillow in 2024. That and more news a little bit later on, but there's some big stuff going on that we need to address to begin things. Thanks for joining us. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Elijah Robertson is in our studios in downtown Indianapolis. So a couple of things we'll address first off. Fingers crossed that my home internet works tonight. So apologies if that cuts out. But there is a bandwidth sharing going on. Um, you may be seen, I think I maybe tweeted this once or retweeted some of Jackson's posts, but my son Jackson is at home tonight participating in the E-Race for RP, which is a fundraiser with uh, sim racing on iRacing, and their practice has already started. If you really want to watch iRacing uh, with a, a broadcast level 
um, YouTube feed tonight. I, I don't know who who's doing the broadcast, but Greg Kramer did it last year. I haven't even asked who's doing it. I know I'm not, and I requested that I don't broadcast iRacing. I'll support it any other way I can, but the, uh, Race for RP has a YouTube page, and the race starts at 9 o'clock, and there are pros in there, like my son Jackson, but Jordan Taylor, uh, I think Ricky Taylor, Stefan Wilson, Robert McGinnis, um, Daniel Morad. I should have probably had the list right in front of me. Kenton Cook are some of those that are there. There are probably a dozen, 15 or so legit pro drivers that are going to be taking part in this, raising money for a good cause and autoimmune disease research and relapsing polychondritis. So uh, hopefully that doesn't take up too much Internet. The other would be a, a little bit of a nasally voice for me. I found that that maybe skipping a day of sleep on my overnight trip to London last week probably isn't great for your health, but I generally feel good and I'm doing much better than my co-host. How are you doing? Uh, not I'm not doing very well. It was uh, not okay. a day not a day at work today. Uh, decided I was better off not infecting uh, the building, um, although I probably did on Monday, but. Yeah, I just came down with something late last week, and it's just been, you know, very little sleep because you just cough all night. I can't, so I went NyQuil last night, and when you go NyQuil uh, the next morning, you have no idea who you are. Uh, if it's not a it's not a great way to to live, so I I try to avoid that at all costs. But I had to get some sleep last night, so I sound awful. I feel a little better than I did a couple of days ago, but it's still not there. And so you may hear me cut out to hit the mute button to get some coughing out of the way. And hopefully within a few days, I'll be back to my jovial self. I think this is all part of your ploy not to comment on some of the news of late last week. Right. <laughs> so I, I will do the heavy lifting on that part. So we, we have some serious things to get to. And uh, it, it was not a banner end of the week last week for IndyCar. And there, there are a couple of ways to look at the news. Uh, first, the hybrid is delayed until after the Indy 500. No definite time. So I read that, which uh, was really... Did, did you write the press release? Because I did not. Really, it was really craftily done that you had to dig deep. If you didn't know the story, you would just say, yeah, this is uh, nice. They're, they're making nice progress on the hybrid. Kind of the same type of release that was sent out about this time last year about the delay of uh, the new full engine package. But I get it. That's that's what you do when you're in public relations. You try to spin it the best that you can. And then journalists kind of dissect it a little bit. But we knew this was coming because Nathan Brown uh, had written something in the Indianapolis Star, what, about four hours earlier. And I think Racer had a similar story. And and so on. So we knew that was coming. That was part one. And then part two, a day or two later, which I, I think is more significant, is the story on Racer with quotes from a Honda executive saying, if things don't change on an ROI return on investments uh, situation and or costs are not reduced, we may not renew our contract when it's up in 2026 so there's a lot of layers here and i believe there are a, a lot of ways to look at this and i'm just going to kind of bounce around with thoughts um you know one thing in all of this and this was kind of my first overwhelming thought with the, the hybrid 
um, being delayed. So let's say there are 5 million people watching the Indy 500. And, and you can say this is spin as well. Um, 5 million people watching the Indy 500. I'm going to guess about 4.9 million of them won't know or don't care whether there is hybrid power in those cars. So it's not a sky is falling. It's less than ideal. I get it. And it is important to um, service your hardcores. More importantly, and this is why it is important, because your manufacturers thought this was important and it's important to be relevant. But just simply from a spectator aspect, a growth of the sport or lack of growth of the sport, it's really not going to have any impact. And it's kind of like the same thing I said last year around this time is that it's it's not great. And I, I wish they would have been able to get the engine up and running as they had originally announced and planned. But most of the people that are watching aren't ever going to notice this. Now, does it matter? Yes, it does. But th that's an entirely separate story. Part two, the uh, the negative news about one of your main partners not offering supreme public commitment for the long term Again, a very high number, probably about that same number, you know, probably 90% of the people watching the Indy 500 aren't really aware of that story and do not care. So that's that's part one. Now, part two is that it is significant. And I would suspect that that's not a coincidence that Honda decides to go public with one of their executives, our friend Chuck Shivsky, um, going on the record. And by the way, credit to him for going on the record and saying what they wanted to say. And this isn't just an employee deciding that I'm going to, to say my piece here. I'm sure this was internally thought of, and this was strategy. And I feel quite confident that everything that Chuck said and was quoted as saying had been said internally, and they felt like we're not getting anywhere with that message. So we're going to try another path for a couple of reasons. Because I believe Honda HPD HRC is that how it's now referred to? Are those the new initials essentially? I, th I think Honda, so. But Honda I Racing Corporation, there was kind yeah. of a rebranding of that starting for 2024. I believe, not having any sourcing on this, but knowing the type of partner they have been, I believe they want to stay in IndyCar, and this was their way. And maybe it's the people that most want to stay in IndyCar, like a Chuck Shifsky or like a David Salters, like the people we see at the racetrack, because they have to sell this participation to people, some of which are in Japan, who don't come to races, who are not as invested as many of the Honda and HPD people that we see. So they've got to answer on that return. And I think this is could be them saying... We need to have a wake-up call, and we need to do something different because my bosses are not going to sign off on this. Chuck, I'm going to guess, doesn't get to make the final say. David doesn't get to make the final say. David Salters of whether – now, I'm sure they have influence and their opinion is listened to, but there are people higher that get to make that say, and they're looking at numbers and things that they have wanted, like, I suspect, hybrid, that are not being delivered. So. It could be a courtesy of saying, 
we're letting everyone know. So if this doesn't change and our bosses don't allow us to continue, at least not everyone is blindsided because that's even worse if that in June of 2025 or December of 2025, it's announced, yeah, Honda's out after 2026. You know, that's a gut punch because you don't have time to react to that. Because if the worst were to happen, there's going to need to be some time. And I think it also is a message to everyone. Okay, we said that either costs need to go down or return needs to go up. Then the paddock is going to have to talk amongst themselves. And IndyCar is going to have to talk amongst themselves. What can we do? What is doable on this front? Uh, and two thoughts that I have, and I'm looking for for Chuck's direct quote on this because that might help us down this front. But there, there are two thoughts that I have. Is well, obviously you can you know increase the popularity of the sport, increase television ratings, uh, do things like that to improve the return on investment, or add a. And by the way, that's easier said than done, and that's going to be difficult to make a significant move in that direction by the time they need to make a decision. The other would be to get a third engine manufacturer because that's one of the stated things. And it, it seems a bit odd that, you know, normally, uh, for example, when the chassis was being chosen, we kept hearing we can't have chassis competition because the only way it can work financially for Delara or whoever is that they have to supply every single one that the cost becomes more to them, or I guess the profit is less if they're only supplying half the field. But if they can sell to every single team and have a monopoly on it, then there is enough profit. So correct. That's, that's sure. Record. Sure. That's that. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it does seem a bit odd that both Honda and Chevy have said, the more engines we have to supply, the more customers we have, which is the opposite of most businesses, the less money we make and actually the more money we lose. Well, the reality, the reason that happens is because they are losing money. I don't know what the number is, but they're losing, you know, it's not $6,000 per engine lease or per, per team that they supply. It's probably in the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're losing for each team. And I think they have looked at this as that's a marketing investment. They knew that going in um, to try to help the sport. We will require, I forget what the number is. It's around a million dollars, maybe for an engine lease for a season for a team. You're nodding your head um, in that range. You know, it probably costs them 1.2 million. And I may be way off on these numbers, but it's more than what the lease is. And Honda has done that, knowing that they will lose money as part of their agreement. And their agreement also includes that they will be the title sponsor of a certain number of events. And they will activate, you know, and there is a buy. And this is this is um, involved in other motorsports entities as well. So that's how you, you lose more with the more customers you supply. If they were supplying... A third of the field, say they lose $100,000 per engine, maybe uh, per, per team, maybe it's only 20000 I don't know what it is. But if they're doing eight cars, that's $800,000, which is really sort of a marketing spend. It's part of the marketing investment. But if you're doing 16, 
obviously, that's twice as much. So that's why it's been said that if we have a third engine manufacturer, then that goes down. So that's one way to do it. Eh, it's going to be tough to have a third engine manufacturer up and running. Not, not impossible. There is still plenty of time for, you know, we're talking 2027. So you really have, what, another year and a half to two years? You would have to be for a new engine partner to be ready to roll out to start 2027. I think the thought we've usually said is around May, a year and a half before. So you have probably until about May of 2025. So there is some runway. And I do think it's possible. Well, I am not aware of anyone uh, on the brink. And I, I know Mark Miles or Jay Fry publicly said recently, either at PRI or somewhere else, that we don't think that's going to happen until we get the hybrid all sorted. Um, so it, it's not imminent, but it's also possible that they've got somebody in the pipeline. Penske Corp is pretty good about keeping things quiet, and it's possible that there is just an announcement someday, just like there was the Speedway was sold to Penske and with a couple of other things. But reality is that's harder to do. The easiest way to guarantee that you can meet what Honda has asked for, uh, and, and that's spending less, is to increase the cost of the engine leases. So that's why I say in a roundabout way that this was probably good to get that out because the teams are going to have to somewhat decide, and I would think there'd be some conversations, okay, how important is it to us that we continue with a second engine partner? Because the only way we can guarantee that to happen is they need to either lose no money or lose less money, and the team's costs are going to go up is that $100,000 per entry? Is it $500,000 per entry? I do not know. But that seems like the easiest way to do it. As an example, 10, maybe 12 years ago. It's been a while. At one point, I remember we heard, and I think there might have even been an announcement. Was there an announcement that Firestone was leaving? Not leaving. Uh it was similar to this. Sim similar, perhaps. It was on the brink that Firestone was in serious jeopardy of moving on. And this, I think, if we get into the weeds, probably is one of the things that led to Randy Bernard's demise as the leader of IndyCar, because he was tasked with, hey, find us more money. And as I recall, he found someone, and I believe it was Continental, or one of the Continental brands. Maybe it was Hoosier. It might have been Hoosier, which is a Continental brand. But he found another tire manufacturer that was on board, and they were set to take over IndyCar. Well, the paddock revolted. The paddock, um, and this is serious stuff, this is somewhat about safety. And I'm sure it was nothing against Continental or Hoosier, but it was, hey, we know the Firestone tires are safe. We don't deal with what NASCAR deals with and failures. We don't have that in IndyCar, or it's very, very rare. So we feel much safer continuing down the path with Firestone. Plus, there's a lot of history with this brand, with the Indianapolis 500. Uh, and I believe that the IndyCar teams agreed to pay more. 
Does that sound right to you? It does. In it their, does. In their fire, in their Firestone agreements, because they buy the tires for a set amount of money as a part of that agreement with IndyCar, and I believe the cost of tires went up. So we could see something similar in that regard with this. Um, and the way to make that more palatable is you do the other things. You, you keep hitting singles and you need to really get the ball rolling on some things that create more revenue, that create more eyeballs. One, you immediately have an opportunity coming up in, well, certainly in the next year and preferably in the next four to six months, that would be a new television contract. That is likely being negotiated right now. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to announce that around May in the Indianapolis 500. I think they will announce it when it's done. It doesn't have to be done. There's no deadline. But obviously, if you were considering changing, if you're IndyCar, the new entity is going to need to know sooner rather than later because they can't just decide next November that we're going to start doing motorsports um, and, and be able to do that. So, you know, that that's top of mind. There's one thing where maybe, maybe there can be some more revenue shared with the teams. Or maybe it's a contract that calls for more network availability than what you're going to have in 2024, which makes it easier to raise more funding with partners and sponsors. So those are some of the things that I see down the road for this. Does any of that make sense? What am I missing as to what could appease Honda? Because I, I don't I don't think they're, they've made a decision, uh, but I also don't suspect they've gone public like this if they're bluffing. We've heard this. I've heard this internally. Uh, Everyone in the paddock has heard this. I was honestly surprised that someone put their name to it and it went public. But ultimately, I guess I'm glad they did. I'm glad it's out there. And now let's see if we can address it. And what is done for Honda might create some better relationships with Chevrolet and General Motors as well. And that strengthened that. So I might argue that I don't know that it was good for it to be out there. I hear what you're saying. It allows everyone to kind of know, but but sometimes it's the confidence that Honda and Chevy and Firestone have exuded that is really good for the sport. And so I don't know that I could say, whether I worked at the Speedway or I worked at the Indianapolis Star, that I think that was good information to be leaked. I hear why you believe that. I guess the question I would have to you is, and you kind of touched on it, but it's not a coincidence that shortly after the hybrid announcement came the Honda announcement and or the the information in those two subjects. Honda and Chevy spent a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money working on this hybrid, and Jay Fry has, has praised them, rightfully so. But I think it's been a big undertaking, and I think it's uh, – I just wonder how much connection there are between the two stories. Oh, I I don't think it's coincidence. Um, and, you know, going back to the hybrid situation, we'd all been hearing this. And, and I, I made the correlation – I think I said this on the air. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, because we've all been hearing the rumors about some failures, some parts shortages. And I had heard this December test at Homestead was going – to be canceled. Now, what I did not know last week 
I, I knew last week on the show that that wasn't happening. I did not know that it was done before Christmas. All I knew is they weren't going to Homestead, which I think was scheduled for early last week, or maybe it was a few days before. But as far as I knew, they were still trying to do something because there were tests scheduled all the way up until the 23rd. And my thought was, well, as long as they get it sorted before Christmas, I think there's still a chance to get everything mass produced and homologated and get it to the team. It's going to be difficult. And I use the uh, example of the beast in 94, not running 500 miles until the middle of May. Well, someone reminded me the difference there was they only needed three cars. They only needed to supply parts for three cars, not 27 plus spares. So that is a big difference. And that's when it, okay, we're, we're in, in trouble here and that's not going to happen. So good on them. They, Maybe. I, I don't know all of the specifics, um, whether there was any chance and this was just done on the conservative side. If so, I think that's smart because, you know, while I've had some friends say, hey, you know what? It might be fun like in the old days when you never knew who was going to make it to the finish. And there is some attrition involved. And that's fun unless you're the one that um, has a sponsor who's deal is up at the end of the year and you know you don't finish three key races and don't get a chance to compete and and so on and so forth you, you don't want to decide things that way and that doesn't do any good the purpose of this is for honda and chevy to be able to show that we've mastered this hybrid technology and you can go buy it in our car and a thing keeps stopping on lap two in the race that doesn't help honda and chevy so that's why you need to get this right. Can it be rolled out midseason? I have questions about that. I, I think that's going to be really hard unless they are ready to start doing some testing in February before the season starts, unless all the teams can get this, because that's why this ultimately was shelf for now, because only, I think, four teams have any information. And the others were supposed to have at least one kit by the beginning of December. And once we got to that point, and it didn't look like it was going to be doable within the next two weeks, uh, we moved down that point. If they can get it to people before the season starts and they can spend a little bit of time in the preseason testing and do some more test days, then much more doable. You could still do it in the season, but that's far from ideal to be able – to do that so it was it was a bit vague in the press release i think you could still be accurate in the press release if it's not on a car in a race in my mind in 2024 it just says they'll debut after the indy 500 in 2024 maybe it said in racing i i don't remember seeing that but technically i guess you could still do some testing in the summer and you know rolled out in september y you better have that thing buttoned up because if one of your teams is leading the championship and you go to a new technology and it has failures and that's what cost them the championship, that's not going to go over very well. And I'm sure if they do unveil it, for the same reason I just said, they're not going to do this until they're ready. Once you're not ready to start the season, I don't feel like there's any date. I don't. It'll help. It probably helped your relationship with Honda, who I think probably wants this a little more than Chevy does to get this up and going and not go through the uncertainty of the off season. Again, is it going to be ready for 2025? But 
Those are some thoughts there. I found the quote, by the way, from American Honda Motorsports manager Chuck Shifsky to Racer. We have a great we have great concerns over the cost. If we were to choose not to renew, that would be the reason why, and it's easy to see. We don't have a third manufacturer, and there's a reason for that. It has to do with the cost. If the return on investment matched up with the investment, we'd have a number of other manufacturers involved. Now back to your point that this was not great for IndyCar. Yeah, that second part was not. That does not help your cause to be able to find a third manufacturer when one of them just says it's not working out for us. So IndyCar uh, management and their public relations team, communications marketing are going to have to work hard on what they can do and what that message will be to change that. And some of that is going to be convincing Honda and then getting a fresh quote from Chuck Shifsky in a year saying, you know what? We had some concerns late in 2023 and kudos to IndyCar. They have been able to address those. And I feel like he's going to need to vouch for them because you're, you're right on that part, that that definitely does not help. I think going public, if they do still have a reason, if they still want to make this work with IndyCar, I think they felt like that this was their last try. This was the the last gasp because they've tried everything internally and they must feel like they're not getting anywhere. So we will try publicly and see if that works. And that's not awesome, but I think that's where we're at. So just a quick thought uh, that I had about if there's a, if I wonder how this impacts, I haven't, ask the question uh but if it, if the hybrid's not on the car for indy they've made efforts to lighten the car in other places to account for the minimal weight but there is some weight that goes with this would this make the car faster at indy without the really? hybrid technology they, they've already done i think they should make the car faster at st pete and everywhere because they right, have right well, India's 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 the yes. place where where you talk about speed. Yeah, mostly. Yes, yes, you're right. I mean, you know, we talk about speed, and you know, Townsend and Hinch will look at lap times, and we might see that they're four tenths up from last year. But yes, you're right. Speed is what we talk about at Indy. So that is going to be a different conversation because. We're going to need someone smarter than us. You know, what does 15 or 20 pounds do on an oval situation? I don't I don't think it has near as much impact as it does on a road course situation. So I don't think we're in peril of running 238 miles per hour. But that was no, what no, I was no, starting no. to go down. No, I think it's minimal, but I think it, it's, it it's is minimal, an increase. But we should at least be in the 234s again. Um, yeah, I think it'll be an increase. And yeah. and anytime you're talking about going faster, you already had what the fastest front row in Indy history. You had the first, the fastest we'd seen since on uh, pole day, because uh, Lion Dyke's track record was not set on pole day. Uh, so you had a, a lot of speed in the 2023 Indy 500. I think we'll see uh, uh, noteworthy speed. Uh, I say that obviously, if you're even going 230, that's pretty fast, but. Uh, a speed increase is, is a great talking point for the event. 
Yeah, it, it will. And so the people listening to this show, this stuff matters to them. It matters to the industry and it's a big deal. Uh, I'll reiterate. Um, I don't think the sky is falling because the masses, the 95% of the people, I wish they watched every race, but the audience is five times higher for the Indy 500. So that's 80%. And I think it's of the million people that are watching us for a network race at St. Pete or Road America or wherever else. I think there's a high percentage of even that group that is not in the weeds and is not interested in what the power plant is all that much. They're interested in entertainment, personalities, things like that. That's not unanimous. It's not 100% certainly, but that is certainly the case, I think, of the Indy 500. So that's the only, I wouldn't say positive, but non-sky is falling, is that it's not going to impact how many people watch the Indy 500 hundred this year. That is a side story. This going back to originally why I said, you know, I was having a hard time getting super excited about the hybrid because you can't hear it. You can't see it. We're going to have to explain it. And my thought was, you know, after we talk about it, St. Pete weekend, just kind of like we did in IMSA, it won't really be mentioned much anymore. It still got some mentions in IMSA because the car would whoosh away on hybrid power out of the pits, and that was noticeable. I don't think that was going to be the plan for IndyCar. I think it was going to be used in a push-to-pass type of situation, and the car would still be loud. So it would not really be noticeable. So it was going to be kind of hard to present the return on that. Now, all that said, I understand why it was important, because you want your motorsport to be relevant. And this is, if it's important to the manufacturers, your key partners, it needs to be important to IndyCar. I get that. But looking at it from an entertainment standpoint, TV standpoint, Kurt, it didn't move the needle, right? Yeah, I, I hear your point. And I think, you know, sometimes, and I, I've always felt like I had to be careful with this as a communicator, sometimes you can get too in the weeds about how the push to pass works you know, I mean, I you uh, the average fan can understand. Okay, he's got thirty seconds left, you know, or whatever. He's out of push to pass. Okay, we get that. That that's an interesting dynamic. But sometimes, if you have to go through the explaining process, you've lost the the immediacy of the moment. What I've learned from Hinch this year, who's been in the Formula One paddock half a dozen times, I've I've heard him explain, I think he and Townsend were talking about it. And we don't, as even fans that are paying close attention to Formula One, he said he started talking to drivers about how they have to use hybrid and how they have to strategize. And that's not even explained well on the Formula One broadcasts, that it's not as simple as you weren't good enough to get him. It was because you didn't have enough energy stored up and yeah. you have to use that as part of a strategy. So combating what I said earlier, I guess we would have talked about it more than St. Pete because Townsend and Hinch are really good about talking about the intricacies, which I think outside of the Indy 500, a lot of our fans are interested in. And there would have been strategy because I believe- Oh, the, the strategy would have been big. Yeah, the strategy. I believe the plan was there wasn't going to be a finite amount of push to pass like in the past. It was going to be- how good are you at saving 
So I already was starting to think Scott Dixon is going to be my championship favorite because if he can save fuel, he can probably save hybrid energy as well. And he's going to be better than everybody else at this. And if you're really good at it, and if you're at mid Ohio and want to run around sixth in that train and not pass anybody for the first two stints, you're saving. And then you've got more power than everyone else. And you're on push to pass for five minutes in your last stint and you go win the race. So I agree that would have been something. So, you know, it's wrong of me to dismiss it and say no one cares and it has no value. It has value, but it wasn't the be all end all. And it was making the cars a little heavier and potentially a little slower. Um, I wish it would have worked as planned. Um, but sometimes things are more challenging than than you expect. And there's the production delays and we're still dealing with the after effects of COVID. And I think there's just a lot of things going on. So as they like to say, it is what it is. And we will see where we go from next. We'll get to some of your tweets on this and more coming up. And there's other news to discuss, uh, too. It's Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Let's get to some Twitter or X questions at Kevin Lee23 at Kurt Cavan. Matt Henninger uh, is our man on the scene. He's got a picture of Chip Ganassi Racing Headquarters just confirming the DHL sponsorship moving to Chip Ganassi Racing today in the Alex Polo card. It's a picture with uh, PNC, American Legion, DHL. And Parkland all out on the um, the signboard for the address. So very good on that. I just I saw a, a story from Joey Barnes. I think this was part of the teleconference today, which I forgot about to listen into. But Mike Para, who is the CEO of DHL, there's some some quotes from him on there as to why they made the switch after spending so much time on it dozen 13 years 13 with andretti including a championship the indy 500 with ryan hunter ray you know global recognition which we heard they wanted with romain grosjean and it sounds like alex Pillow being an international type uh was something that attracted to them as well but you know i, th- I think one of the things i saw out of that was when f- the opportunity for us to compete at the front of the field was just simply too compelling too compelling to pass up 
Uh, and, and that's it with Alex Pillow, you know, we'll, we'll get to this another time, but when we start to, to make our picks for next year, I think we were going to be able to legitimately say, Hey, it's potentially a brand new ball game. The hybrid cars will be a little bit different. There'll be more strategy from the driver and the team. They'll handle differently. So just because you were good last year does not mean you will be good this year. Now it's, uh oh, <laughs> you know, are we taking Pelot versus the field? Uh, now the car does weigh differently. So maybe, maybe there's a slight change in handling characteristic for next year, but I'm going to have a hard time picking anybody below at this point. Yeah, it sounds like you're almost rooting against him here. But uh, remember, Scott Dixon won three of the last four races, and Dixie's very good, obviously. Just got kind of a slow start, but Pelot's really good. You know, we really we really could be working on three in a row right here because he had his 2022 season so distracted by his his own doings. Uh, or he, he really – could have been working on three in a row right now. Yeah. Yeah. He was ostracized from his team in the middle of the season. Now he was not leading the championship at the time. So there's no guarantee, but that certainly uh, did not help his cause. Also, I think significant, you know, let's face it. Uh, this is not the first time a sponsor has left one team to go to another. And there are, there are a lot of bad feelings at different times in the paddock of sponsor stealing. And we remember a very public lawsuit a few years ago involving the uh, national guard, right. With, with Panther and Ray Hall Letterman. And ultimately I think that led to sponsor just saying, yeah, we're going to move on out of this. Um, I think smart by Chip Ganassi to point out today that it was DHL that sought the organization out. It wasn't him making the first contact with that. And Paris said, yeah, that's exactly it is. We knew we were coming to an end with the Andretti relationship again, very amicable in the utmost respect to Michael Andretti and JF Thorman, who's the executive vice president and COO of Andretti, the entire team. We went into the market and shared that the interest expanded beyond IndyCar with potential opportunities, including MLS specifically with Lionel Messi and inter Miami saying we're looking into there uh, and so on and so forth. So you know, it's it's never ideal, but I can believe that. And while if you're the one losing a partner like that, you're not going to be super happy. But in the big picture thing, and this is how I would see it as someone not involved with either team. I'm just glad they're staying in the sport. Yeah, me too. That's bad when you lose a partner, a big brand that's recognizable like DHL, if they just exit the sport. So we talked about optics early on, that it's not ideal, Honda. Um, executives publicly saying, yeah, this isn't getting it done for us. Well, when DHL does say this is getting it done for us, those kind of things help. And those, in some ways, maybe are noticed more. You know, it was mentioned on the in the teleconference today, and we're going to have that, by the way, in the second hour, some of the excerpts from that, from uh, Alex Pillow mostly. But, you know, the point was made that DHL's big in the U.S. It is monster in Europe. And... And uh, Flo was talking about being in Spain and and getting up and already seeing a couple trucks go through his neighborhood and and uh, it's DHL's big globally. So this is uh, you're right. This is one you can't afford to lose if you're a, if you're the series. From Snarky Moose, 
from the racer article last week, it sounds like Honda is giving IndyCar a year to sign up a third OEM or will leave the series or it will leave the series after 2026. What's the chance IndyCar could do that? So I think we talked about that earlier. I think there are more options than just that. It's possible they get a third OEM to sign up before them, but I don't, I don't think that's the only way. Uh, at least I certainly hope not because that's going to be challenging. Um, well, and, and a couple different groups, you know, a couple different efforts in that pursuit have taken place. I mean, you know, you've had a couple you thought were in the, in the mix. It's just very, very difficult, but, and I would agree with you. There's a couple ways to skin this one and it doesn't, you know, whatever there's money involved, it comes down to either you spend more or spend less or take in more. There's no other real uh, secret to ROI than, you know, performance, taking in more money, sharing, or uh, cutting expenses. So, And there could be different, could be a different agreement. Um, there are certain asks that cost money for Honda. And maybe something changes on that front. To to the question, I'm sure people are asking is, what happens? How how can IndyCar survive if Honda were to exit? Well, they have been down that path before, and it was with Honda as the sole manufacturer, and it was with Ilmore supplying the engines, uh, and Ilmore still supplies the engines for Chevrolet. So my guess would be that would be the backup plan. Not ideal. You would hope to get someone else in to take that place, but. You know, one good thing is that Roger Penske is a co-owner of Ilmore. So that's why I say if they were to leave, you want to know as soon as possible. But that could be doable. I would think that Ilmore supplies the engines for all. And Cam Soup's FL asks or says, I will ask again, what has Roger Penske done for IndyCar since he bought it? So I know uh, he's asked this question before and I know what he wants to hear. So I'm not going to go through before and, and, you know, we try to list the things that are positives. They're always positives. They're always negatives because I can, I just wanted to read this to, to show that we weren't hiding it. And Cam soup wanted his opinion out there. And, and I think it's very clear that he would prefer that Penske Corp move on and sell IndyCar. And you are welcome to have that opinion. I would caution though, even though things in all regards are not going as swimmingly as we would like, just be careful. Because if Liberty owns IndyCar, who knows what their prerogatives and objectives are. Maybe the Indy 500 becomes a road course race for Formula One. If NASCAR buys IndyCar, maybe it's a stock car race at the Indy 500. If NASCAR buys, buys the IndyCar series, the Indy 500. So... That's why I think most of us felt more comfortable when the Holman George family got out of the business, that it's someone that we know and we know what their intentions are with the Indianapolis 500 and with IndyCar, but I hear you. So I wanted to state it there. And I don't think you were interested in hearing about, you know, the new Nashville race or a new race at Detroit and some of the other things. So we hear you and, and I get you um, coming up plenty more in a preview of hour two on trackside.
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Rians VK, and you're listening to Trekside. Okay, ran long in the first couple of segments, so quickie here. As Kurt mentioned, some of Alex Pillow's teleconference today, uh, he will talk about whether he is interested in running the number one as the champion. We've got other news to get to, uh, including the latest Indy 500 silly season update and plenty more in hour two on Trackside. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is David Malukas, and you're listening to Trackside. It's hour number two, Trackside 93.5-1075, the fan in it. So Elijah Robertson is in our studios. I'm Kevin Lee. Uh, Kurt Cavan is with us as well. Oh, I should re- remind everyone, we have one more show before 24. One more to go before 24. That's next Tuesday night from 7 until 9, and then we will take our traditional two weeks off for Christmas and new year so no show on the 26th or the second we will then return on tuesday the ninth september uh, tuesday january 9th i believe we're set for that tuesday january 9th that's right that's right we've seen a schedule it looks like we're we're tuesday the 16th monday the 22nd monday the 29th of january if you really need to plan that far uh in advance Okay, where we want to start in hour number two. So uh, we'll hear from Alex Pillow a little later on. You know, I've kind of asked before, hey, don't we need it confirmed that he's driving the number 10 car? Because all we have is Chip Ganassi telling me in victory lane after he won the championship that he'll be back and then declining to answer anything else. So there you go. This is this is all the confirmation we need because it was said the DHL will sponsor Alex Pillow in the number 10 car in 2024. So we can put that one aside. Yeah. The, you know, you talk about the things that, that weren't positive over the last few days, news wise. Um, and I think another one you add to is Callum Eilat. I really feel bad for Callum Eilat, uh, you know, and his letting, you know, being kind of out of the plans of Hunko's Hollinger at uh, a pretty late date, or at least, relatively late to the to the driver cycle of hiring and you know he's he's landed a ride for him by the way in the in the world endurance challenge uh which is obviously a a, a paying job a, 
you know, in the hypercar class, that's a, it's a big deal. Um, he does, he will have enough time, uh, to run some IndyCar races, like 20 of them are that there's like 10 that don't conflict with the, with the WEC championship. So he can be back in an IndyCar. He did express his desire to be in the Indy 500, but I don't see a lot of Indy 500 rides going to Calamilot when you have drivers like, uh, you know, Takuma Sato, uh, like Simon Pagano, former winners, like Connor Daly, who has run well, like, like Ryan Hunter Ray, another former winner. You've got uh, a pretty good contingent of, of drivers to select from who don't have full-time rides. So I don't know how Callum Eilat would fit. You know, Callum doesn't have a great, hadn't had great success in the Indy 500. Uh, I don't see how he would be uh, preferable certainly when so many of those guys are out there. Yeah, agreed. I don't see any path for Callum in 2024 as a driver without budget. That's right. A different story if he was, because he's plenty qualified enough. Oh, he's very talented, very talented. he was able to bring the budget. Um, You know, after the miserable month that was with all of the going back and forth, he thought the car was broke. The team did not. When they finally changed, he actually had a good 500 last year. He started in the back and he finished 12th. Um, after crashing the year before and getting hurt, which caused him to miss the next race. Um, but but he did well. But yeah, I don't see any path for him. Now, I would say this is a positive. I don't want to speak for Callum, and I don't know what he's getting paid. I think it's a good ride. It's a good ride. He's just not a I also, I think it's I think it's better than driving the 77 Hunko's car for him. I'm not saying it's better than Roman Grosjean, but that... That relationship needed to end. That whole thing. If you can't race your teammates, if if your teammate gets better, if Canapino improves next year and is mid-pack more often on legit pace, and he knows that he's going to deal with social media torments every time they tangle, no, he needed to get out. Um, And I don't think he has lost a huge salary, you know, I'm going to guess, because he was hired and didn't have a lot of options, that that was a pretty economical driver. And it's probably a similar salary structure. And for a European driver, driving in the World Endurance Championship in the top class in hypercar, over there, that's actually, for a lot of people, more desirable than IndyCar. Now, he's come to enjoy IndyCar, and I know he still wants to be here, and they don't have the Indy 500, and you can do Le Mans and do the Indy 500, which is why I think he's let it be known uh, that he would be welcome to come back. But this will allow him to be right out there and available, and I wouldn't count him out for 2025. By the way, his WEC team is the Hertz team for Jota, a Porsche, one of the big teams. It's number 12 because Tom Brady is a partner on that team. That's right. So so that team does get a lot of attention, uh, and, and he's got some sports car experience. Since you mentioned sports cars, I was really happy to see Matt Brabham get a job in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So add another driver that we know will be at the Rolex 24. And they that LMP2 class, which is the number two class, these are prototypes, is going to have a lot of people we are familiar with. Uh, and he'll do the five endurance races, which includes the race at Indianapolis in September in uh, one of the uh, IMSA teams. So happy to see that. 
you mentioned Indy 500. So let's just kind of do where things are at there. I listened to Connor Daly's podcast with Joey Molinaro, Speed Street, this past week. And oh, by the way, this kind of reminded me too of, you know, at one point, going back to the hybrid conversation, um, in hindsight, I think if you're IndyCar, you'd probably like to go ahead and get that announcement out before it's announced for you in a couple of outlets. Now I get you have to get everyone on board because it's just not like the PR team can say, we're going to announce this. And Jay Fry can't just say, we're going to do this. Or Mark Miles, it's got to go through a lot of layers, but not super ideal when the report comes out and then four hours later you announce it. However, good that you did it that day because my first fear was, oh, now it gets another news cycle. But because you did it four hours later, it really didn't. It really didn't. It was all in the same news cycle. Worst would have been waiting another two weeks to announce a delay. So they handled that the best they could under the circumstances. But you had to know it was going to get out because the drivers just had their meeting with management last week and were told, hey, we're going to delay the hybrid. And two of those drivers have podcasts. So you know it's going to get out there and Connor all but said, and I don't know the the timing. I don't, I listened to it after I already knew and this was public, but I think that was posted before all of the reports. So maybe that's where Nathan Brown first got the hints when Connor said on the podcast, yeah, they're not going to do the Homestead test. And we're not sure what's going to happen on that front. So with that, we got some other nuggets out of, of Connor with the driver's meetings. And here's one that we've asked before. And I wondered what the drivers were going to say when they have their off-season meeting about the snake. And Connor Daly did say that was discussed. And most of the drivers uh, wanted it limited or removed for the Indy 500. But it was not unanimous. And he said there were some drivers that felt like, no, let's just do it the way we've been doing it. But that's something to, to keep an eye on. Nothing was decided, but I think that that is going to be discussed. You know, I don't know if it comes back to being a one move. Really, I think it comes down to the line, because as long as it was proactive, there was nothing outside of the rules that would stop you from doing that. But what you could, I'll say easily, even though it won't be easy, but you could officiate going below lines, yes, which we saw people do, which I think is a lot of our fear from a safety standpoint. That's the thing for me. I, the snake doesn't doesn't bother me. It was creative when it was first used. It it is beneficial, but you know, honestly, Marcus Erickson tried to use it coming off turn two, and Joseph got a run on him on the last lap and passed him. So it wasn't entirely foolproof. But what I don't like, and it just it just, you know, bothers me beyond belief is how low Joseph took Marcus Erickson. I guess Marcus went on his own volition, but how low those two cars were to the to the white pit commit line mm -hmm. entering turn or in coming off turn four as if they were going to enter the pits. And at the last second, Joseph dove back onto the racetrack if if that had been about a six car train and somebody couldn't see and that pit attenuator is it's just too dangerous you have that pit commit line for a reason you to me 
you may be allowing to put two wheels under the left side wheels under that line, but you have that line for a reason. It needs, it cannot be four wheels below. And by the way, it, they were two car lengths or two car widths. Uh, by the way, I've, I've made a couple of misstatements today amid my uh, poor, uh, you know, health. <laughs> but, Days and confused. I get it. That's what yeah, being day, sick does to you. Yeah. But, uh, but they were they weren't just a little bit inside that pit commit line. They were way out of bounds, and yeah. and and that attenuator is trouble written all over it. If you do it on the back stretch, well, you just got grass there. It's not again from a safety standpoint, it's not ideal. But you know, there's no attenuator there. And yeah. by the way, at the attenuator no fans in the infield, well, actually there fans, are there are there are fans down there in turn three with the snake pit. Yeah, not turn three, but uh, that wouldn't be that much of a problem in turn three. But coming off coming off turn four, it's just it's got trouble written all over, and I I don't like it. And it's not my concern is not the top two cars. It's as you said, if there's four, five, and six, because you can't see in front of you, and if you misjudge a little bit, and they're all going at the last second, so yeah, I'd prefer to have that taken well, away. Look at you want to go take a video exercise if you haven't if you don't remember it go watch Mark Dismore hit that thing go watch go watch Kevin Kogan hit that thing shoot the end of the 2020 Indy 500 uh, again it's Spencer hit it right Spencer Pickett hit it yeah. I mean it is not a good result when that thing happens and it's going to happen at some point. Um, now the next part of that was. So we have to be prepared. Are are they going to call it? It's one thing to call it because it's not going to happen on lap 78. Are they willing to black flag the driver who crosses the yard of bricks to win the Indianapolis 500 and take a win away from him? And I, you if have they, to. You have if to. If they are, then we need to be proactive from this standpoint for messaging. Um. There needs to be a direct line to our producer, not someone else. It needs to be Kyle Novak, the race director, needs to be able to immediately say in our producer's ear, this is under review. Because, you know, I'm thinking about it from Lee Diffie's standpoint for the call. You know, you've won the Indy 500. So he's got to be prepared for an alternate call of that. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you just call it as it is, because if it, if it, is overturned. There's nothing you can do about it. If it, um, if it's called all good, then you'd rather just have the call as it is with no question mark. But that's going to be the big one. Is well, anyone can, this can is you not... DQ? Which maybe is not a terrible thing. One of the things they still talk about in NASCAR land is how it took them a week to determine who won the first Daytona 500. This is not that difficult. I mean, if if you've got a pit commit line and you put four wheels below the pit commit line, it's pretty put a transponder there. Yeah, just like we do it uh just like we do at Long Beach coming off. So what they need to be prepared to do then is not say it's under review. We need to we meaning if if IndyCar wants to go down this path, I think that might be one of those where it's like a ball, it's it's inbounds out of bounds that someone can call that immediately. And, you know, you've still got another four seconds before they cross the yard of bricks. Leader goes down there below that line. 
Boom, he's out. Second place car wins the race. It's never let's been a problem, it Kevin. Kevin has let's, never let's, been. A, let's call it live that way. It's never been a problem. It's only yeah. so I don't. It's it's because you know they've they've seen that they can they can weave like this and snake through the field, which I don't. Again, I don't have a problem with, but stay in the boundary, and uh, I I don't. You know, I I just don't know how they were. I mean, I took a photo of that with with both cars. It was they were a long way. They weren't just a little bit. This wasn't a little bit out of bounds. They were they were quite a ways. And it's just a safety thing. And again, it's not who wins or loses to me. It's it's how do we keep this race safe? How do we keep the the drivers safe? That attenuator is there for a reason. Uh, that as an inside pit wall to keep keep cars you know, as a deterrent to the, to the pit road. And uh, it's got to be there. Well, we'll watch for that. It sounds like that is under review to be a review situation. So for the season starts, we may get some clarification on, on that. Uh, Connor also helped us with Indy 500 silly season a little bit. He said, I'm not going to be driving full time, which he's said before. And he said he will be attempting to qualify for the 500 smart young man. He understands that, you can't say I'm going to be racing in the Indy 500 if it looks like we might have more than 33, which we hope. Um, but he said, I'll be attempting to qualify for the 500. He said, I can't announce it yet. Um, and he left a little bit of wiggle room. Like, you know, he didn't say I've come to terms or I've picked a team. But when you say it this definitively, it sure sounds like it's been decided and they just are working on contractual things so here's what i've been hearing for for connor for a little while is that he had options from where he was going to go and i believe dryer and reinbold was one of them and that's where i think he's going to end up but i do not know that with 100 certainty i think dryer and reinbold who has two entries and once they announce those if you include Marco Andretti or a fourth Andretti, that's 33 right there. Uh, that, that will get us to 33, and then we beat a bumping after that. But I believe DRR has been telling multiple interested parties over the last week or so that they're set. Now, that could be because they have 100% chosen Ryan hunter Ray and Connor Daly. Or maybe Connor or Ryan who I suspect also had multiple options are weighing some other things, but I, I'm sure at least one of them has agreed for Dennis to start telling people we are set, or maybe it's, he's only telling certain people he's set because, and here's what you talked about earlier, Kurt, even if Connor did decide to go somewhere else, uh, for example, Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan is one of the ones that I've wondered about that may have a fourth seat. And maybe someone would decide, I like that option better. Well, if that's not an option, here's who could be waiting in the wings. A Takuma Sato. I know you think Honda is likely with Sato, and I'm sure if there is a Honda option, that's where he will be. But if there is not a Honda option, Takuma Sato, I believe, would take a Chevy option that is a good one. What if Simon Pagino says, I'm ready to go, I'm available? There's another one. What about J.R. Hildebrand? I I don't know that I've been mentioning him enough, who has a relationship with that team, but let's not forget about J.R. as one of those categories. Now, my guess is that Connor and Hunter Ray are set for Dreyer and Reinbold, and we can cross them off the list. 
So then we look at what is still available. So that I think puts us at 33. Um, with including Andretti, if we include their fourth, I have to believe it's Marco because Marco, he has said he's want to do it. Um, but I'm sure they'll run a fourth. And I would think there's a chance that they run a fifth. Uh, Able Motorsports is likely going to run a car. There's 34. If Foyt runs a third, which is possible, that's 35. What else? If Coin were to run an extra car, that's another one. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Point being, I think we are already past um, what is going to be allowed by the engine manufacturer. So there's just a, not a lot of opportunities that are still out there at this point. Agreed. And where does that lead people? I leave several of them out. <laughs> Yeah. And some could be of a high profile uh, type of category. Here's another one I'll throw out at you. I've learned of two drivers that I've not mentioned, nor have I seen mentioned in quite some time that likely have budgets that have driven in the Indy 500. So, you know, I think the number of drivers that could get budget together is probably at about 38 or 39. But unfortunately, and this kind of goes back to where we started the show, the engine manufacturers lose money uh, because they're still going to spend the same amount for a car that gets bumped. And they, they unfortunately don't see the return and they may just be knocking one of their other programs, potentially a full-time program out of the race. So I don't know what the answer is to create the more bumping. Now, I think we'll see it. I think we'll get to 34. And I, I know some people still think we're going to see 36. And I hope that's right. But I'm kind of fearing 34. So are you, am I to assume that you're not going to tell us who those other two drivers are? I am not. I'll let them tell you if they want oh. to tell you. Um, and at least in one of the cases, the driver did not tell me. So this is one of those second, third hand. It would not be a good enough sourcing for your journalistic standards. But just to point out there, you know, this is like how the Pietro Fittipaldi thing came together. We weren't really talking about Pietro, but all it takes is all it takes is one you know it takes finding a partner that says yeah i've got a million and a half let's go do this yeah you bring a full budget to a team and and you can get this done i think it's going to be tough this year because there are drivers with a little more um recent success than some of those that might come up with budget and by the way i think there's more than just the two that i'm thinking of i think there are probably others that in the right situation could put a partner together for the Indy 500. I'd run, I'd run Takuma Sato and I'd make sure Santino Ferrucci had a ride because those two guys have been really good. Really good. I have to believe Santino Ferrucci is either going to be in one of, is going to be in the number 14 AJ Foyt car, or he's going to be in a third Foyt car. So for other drivers that are hoping 
because I, I know that's one of those that's out there. You know, the, the drivers that have some budget, they're calling Larry Foyt. Hey, what are you doing? Um, they need Santino to be full time in one of their two cars, because I cannot imagine that ABC Supply or any of the other partners for Foyt are not going to say, are you kidding me? Of course we're running Santino yeah. in the Indy 500, if not more than that. Um, so the best case scenario for anyone with budget looking for, by the way, which is a really desired seat. They were good. They finished third. Peterson was good. And now they have an alliance with Penske, which maybe goes towards Penske just as much for some qualifying setup help for the Indy 500, because sure. that's what they have not conquered uh, at, at this point. Um, and, and to the full season seats, you know, we still have, I still need to listen to your conversation with Steve, with Steve Wittick from last week um, to see what kind of Intel he shared. I think Stingray Rob might be kind of the stir at this point. I think he has the most budget. And the reason we have not seen either Dale Coyne car announced or anything from Foyt announced is that he's going to get to choose which of those programs he wants to go to. And maybe he doesn't know exactly what's available based on some other things outside of his control. So, no, I think we, if I remember right, we came to the conclusion that the first domino in that, or the dom, the stir, as you, as you summed it as, is Stingray Rob. You know, we, we thought for a while it might be Devlin DeFrancesco and his sponsorship and his, his positioning. Uh, there was a time when we thought maybe that was, uh, that might be, uh, you know, someone else, but I think it's Stingray Rob. So we've got, you know, maybe Benjamin Peterson even at the, at different times, but not, yeah. not lately. Yeah. You still got, and, and we need, I think we need confirmation, even though it's a multi-year contract for Benjamin Peterson, there's been too much speculation out there. There's going to need to be, it doesn't need to be a press release, but just kind of some soft affirmation that, yep. Yeah, we're continuing down the same path that we've been. Uh, and then Stingray and Devlin and Santino. And then that's, I think, the well, and, and then the European group. Oh, and by the way, we can cross off Enzo Fittipaldi, the F2 group, who just confirmed to, what's he doing? Is he He's running a fourth season in F2, I believe. I believe that's right. So cross him off that list. He will not be joining his brother Pietro. And then there was one other driver that's been mentioned. Um, that's decided he's going to stay. Oh, Jack Dewan, uh, who's done well and he's had some F1 tests. He is going to continue on as an F1 test driver and wants to be there and, and be ready. and feels like that's his best path, but he, it was mentioned IndyCar and super formula and some other things from him, but he has said he is not going to be racing in IndyCar for the next season. All right, coming up in just a moment, we still got a couple other news nuggets I want to get to before we're done, but uh, some comments from Alex Pillow. I think we all like to hear from Alex, who's a new dad and uh, has a new fire suit for next year, new colors with DHL. Some of his comments today in the teleconference. We'll hear that and more all coming up on Trackside.
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Eli Castroneves, and you're listening to Trackside. Hi, this is Rinus VK, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us. We have had some news today. We got confirmation that the champ is back in the same seat. We knew that, but still waiting for official confirmation, and they teamed it with uh, a big partner, Changing Teams, DHL, after more than a dozen years with Andretti Autosport, now moves over to the number number 10, Chip Ganassi Racing Honda. And Alex Pillow, Chip Ganassi, and others spoke on a teleconference today to the assembled media, so we thought we'd let you listen to some of Pillow's comments. He's been back in Spain. We haven't heard from him for a little while. So some of his comments today from, as we call it, the Raw Press Conference and questions from journalists. And I think we're going to hear from Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star with the first question in Laguna and your championship closing press conference about the potential of running uh, the number one when it was assumed at the time that you might be running with the American Legion next year. Um, Have those discussions gone anywhere? Are you still planning on running the 10 next year and defending your championship in 2024? It's it's always calling, obviously, um, when you have the ability to to win a championship and and to choose. Um, But at the same time, the 10 is, is very special. I won already two championships with it. Uh, It's very special to the team uh, and to the brand, the CGR brand uh, in general. And, and then I'm, I'm a little bit concerned also about people running the number one and not being able to win. Um, so, yeah, it was we had to continue with the 10. Um, I didn't push for, for the one or anything like that once I really thought about it. Um, and I liked the 10. It was also my first uh, ever number in a go-kart um, so yeah, I'll try and repeat, uh, a championship with a 10 now in a uh, row. I mean, sorry. Sure. And, uh, I know this is, you, you spent some considerable time in your short stint with, uh, Ganassi with first team DT, um, had a lot of races with American Legion in the last couple of years now, DHL, um, you know, I'm sure, you might love having consistency across, um, you know, the major partners that you represent, but I'm sure it's also invigorating to add someone new to that. Um, what is the, uh, idea of representing such a storied, uh, modern indie modern day IndyCar brand like DHL going to be like for you next year and beyond? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've been lucky enough to, to represent, very different uh, brands and big brands. Uh, the first year, um, we we had um, Segi, we had Entity, uh, then we had the American Legion starting uh, small and then being our primary sponsor and winning the the championship with them. So now to to have DHL, um, it gives us another opportunity to hopefully um, make also my name and the team's name uh bigger just because it's a global brand and as i said earlier uh today i can see 
uh, DHL tracks and and bands and and planes all around Spain and it's all around Europe and all around the globe. So um, it gives us another opportunity. I think being also a big brand like that, it's just super easy to see uh, also with the colors that it's uh, pretty close to to Spain. Um, so yeah, I, it's exciting. I if I have to change colors uh, every day or not, that's uh, CGR. Uh, deciding and I don't think it's better to stay always in one color or better to always keep on changing. I think whatever is best for the team and whatever gives us the opportunity to keep on, um, on, on making our team as, as big and as strong as it is, it's, it's the most important thing. Well, and last question for you, Alex, um, I know your team recently uh, admitted a uh, breach of contract in this ongoing lawsuit with McLaren that you have going on right now. I um, just wanted to give you a chance to comment on anything that was um, recently released in this ongoing lawsuit that's uh, that you have in, in the UK. Yeah, so it's still ongoing and um, as it's still uh, not close yet. We cannot. I cannot really comment uh, more of what it's been already released. Um, so yeah, whatever uh, all the documents and everything that uh, my lawyer said are are true, and that and that's my comment. Let's say so. Yeah, once everything is settled and once everything is is done, um, I'll be uh, hopefully able to uh, answer more questions in detail. Understand. Appreciate it. Looking forward to the book. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Nathan. How about Ben Johnson from the Paddock Eye? Hey, Ben. Hey. hey, guys. Congratulations on today's announcement. It's fantastic news. For yourself, Chip, you know, you're with your expanding to five cars next season, how big of a deal is this for you on a personal level, not just on a team perspective? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, you know, I don't, I don't look at it as, you know, four or five cars. I mean, we've run... You know, we're, we're, we're running multiple cars out of our facility in Indianapolis, whether they're Indy cars or sports cars or extreme E cars. You know, the number of cars seems to stay about the same. It, it changes from series to series each year. And, uh, you know, we've run, you know, seven or eight cars out of that shop plenty of times. So it's not really a, a huge uh, uh, change in that area. I might say that, uh, you know, uh, other than making uh, – the tent a little bigger at the racetrack and um, buying a few more, a uh, few more plates for lunch. I don't know that there's much uh, change in our, in the way we do things and uh, probably no change at all. As a matter of fact. Excellent. Thanks very much. And for yourself, Alex, um, what does it mean to you as like yourself kind of reigning champion, kind of getting DHL on the car? Yeah. Um, thank you, Ben. It's, uh, it's super special. Um, I mean, we're welcoming uh, a new sponsor to the team. Um, we're welcoming a huge sponsor. And as I said, it's it's just uh, very special to represent such a big brand like that. I think um, small kids that don't really follow a lot uh, in motorsport, they know what DHL is. It's super visible. It's super, uh, it's a brand that you see everywhere. Um, so hopefully we'll not only uh, help uh, the team continue to win races, but will also help us um, being more ex- getting more exposure uh, everywhere globally. So yeah, I'm excited. It's uh, obviously 
challenging to 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 get a big sponsor like that. Uh, you need to deliver, but at the same time, that kind of pressure is what drives us. That's what we do. Uh, it's what keeps us uh, working every day. Uh, not only myself, but everybody in the tank car and everybody back at the shop at CGR. So uh, we are excited and we cannot wait to start. Excellent. Thanks, guys, and happy Christmas. Thank you, Ben. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Jack Binion from The Race. Go ahead, Jack. Hey, guys. Congrats on the announcement. Alex, uh, I wanted to ask, um, the, the announcement today says uh, that the deal's multi-year with with DHL and, and Ganassi, and I guess people have been so focused on kind of what's happened on the, in, in the past and maybe not so focused on on what's in the future, and we haven't really seen any sort of confirmation about a, a new contract for you or your plans for the future. It's more been kind of focused on the past there, I guess. So are you part of this multi-year kind of deal, and have you come to some sort of new agreement with Ganassi about your your future? What, what can you say? I mean, I know it's difficult for you to talk about these kind of things, but what can you say about that? Yeah, um, that's right, uh, Jack. It's uh, it's uh, it's another uh, new deal. Um, it's uh, it's going to be multi-year as well. And it's not been announced like specifically, but uh, it was, let's say, announced uh, today. So, yeah, um, I cannot really mention more than that. But, yeah, it's going to be a multi-year uh, deal. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Jack. Uh, Vincent Shardak, VL Media. Go ahead, Vincent. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, congratulations on this big news. Uh, my question will be for Alex. How are you, man? You good? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, me too. Thank you. Um, I have a big question about uh, the championship uh, earlier this year, but for now, I have a question about the pressure on being with uh, DHL. Now that you are the champion uh, for uh, 2000, um, for 2024, sorry, I, I, I had a big pressure. Um, how does it feel to sign with them? And uh, how do you feel the pressure for next year? Um, yeah, I'm super excited about uh, obviously getting um, DHL, as I said. But the pressure is is part of is part of our sport. It's part of uh, of the game, and is what drives us to to be better, to to push our limits every day, and to uh, to try and beat everybody. Because at the end of the day, that's what we have to do. We have to win. Um, so. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Um, I think uh, all the team is the same way, uh, excited the same way. Once you win one race, it's not like you relax and you say, um, that's it, I'm done. Um, the feeling that you get, it's so good that you want to do it again. And when it's one championship, it's multiplied by uh, 18. Uh, so, yeah, everybody's excited. Everybody's working hard. And um, the pressure, it's just good pressure that uh, hopefully will uh, keep us on on on, on pushing hard uh, to be better every day. Yeah, that, that's very exciting. And uh, my last question will be about the, the championship that you won. You became the first driver to won the championship before the season ending since uh, Sebastian Bourdais in 2007. So it, it, was, uh, it was very long. And... Uh, does this statistic shows uh, how hard it is to win the IndyCar series? Like, uh, you know, uh, every year, uh, 
the championship was uh, decided at the at the end of the season and uh, and you know it's uh, really hard to to win it right yeah i think uh indycar has always been super super hard but uh especially nowadays with uh, how the point system is um that it's it's really hard to uh to win it uh before the last race of the season um but we had uh an excellent season overall we our worst uh position was um eighth i believe we had uh five wins we were always running up front and uh we just felt like it was our year so it was one of those years that everything went well um i don't expect uh to have uh, a lot of years like that hopefully we get some more but it's not going to be like 10 more years like that obviously um but um yeah i think we took advantage when we had that opportunity uh when the cars were amazing where i felt great where uh the lag was on our side and and yeah we will try and do it again it's going to be tough but uh we hopefully uh will work hard enough that we can do it again that's part of the teleconference today with Chip Ganassi Racing's Alex Pillow, the reigning champ, ready to defend again in the number 10. Now DHL car in 2024 for Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, there are race cars on track today and yesterday at Sebring of the junior category. The USF Pro Championships were doing their first tests on Continentals. We'll tell you who went well there and see what we missed also coming up next on Trackside. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hi, this is Ed Carpenter, and you're listening to Trackside. Final segment, what we missed. We missed discussing Tony Stewart coming back to full-time racing. How about this for a fill-in? His wife, Leah Pruitt, is stepping away uh, to try to start a family in 2024. So Tony is going to drive her top fuel dragster. Uh, she finished third in the championship this year with a couple of wins. Stewart, as most of you probably know, Started drag racing this year and finished second in top alcohol as a rookie and won four times. But this is stepping it up to the big time, so very, very cool there. Uh, what else? Oh, there was a testing at Sebring today on Continental Tires. New tire for the Road Indy, as it was formerly known, the USF Pro Championships. Not everyone was there, but a lot of cars were there in USF Juniors, Jimmy Lockhart was the quickest overall over the last two days. In USF 2000, Sam Corey of Pabst Racing 
was the fastest. I saw that Elliot Cox, who is from the Indianapolis area, was fastest in the final practice today. And Ayrton Hoke, also local, he had a good couple of days. And in USF Pro 2000, right now it looks like you want to be with Pabst Racing. Their top three were separated by a total of, let's see, tens, hundreds, eight thousandths of a second. Christian Brooks, Simon Sykes, who I still need to get on the show as the champ in USF 2000. We'll work on that for next week. And Jace Denmark, separated by .008. Francesco Pizzi was next quick again. I know not everyone was there. My driver was not there. Our program is still TBD for next season, working on trying to do some more in USF, hopefully, and uh, maybe some things outside of IndyCar racing in USF as well. So stay tuned for that. I do know that he'll be driving a GT3 sports car tonight in the virtual world. So here's the lineup I mentioned, and the broadcast is underway. Uh, go to the Race for RP YouTube page, and I've uh, sent out a tweet tonight for more information on that. And some of the big-name drivers that are going to be involved, Stefan Wilson is racing tonight. Um Robert Wickens is racing. Who else? Uh, Jordan Taylor, Ricky Taylor. Just kind of scrolling through the list here. John Miller is an IMSA driver. Ryan Lewis, who some of you might remember. Harry Gottsacker, Daniel Morad, um, Nikki Hayes, who was Jackson's teammate a couple of years ago. Speedy Dan Clark, Alex Premont, Courtney Crone. Jeff Westfall and Nolan Siegel, Indy Next Driver, and many, many more. So hope you can contribute to a great cause that's close to our family as well. Autoimmune disease research with uh, relapsing polychondritis and race for RP. Green flag from Coda. Challenging track coming up in just a few minutes. We'll see you next week, Tuesday night at 7 for the final show in 24 on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.